Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you rely on the internet for everything... You need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Film study with Ken McCusick. We're going to look back at the preseason week one game, which was really the Ravens' second game, but don't get me settled on numbers and weeks. With the NFL, it's all confusing. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. This was a fun game to watch. Uh, the Ravens clearly won 33-7. to uh, We got to see Joe. We got to see Lamar Jackson with, the, uh, early, with basically the O-line starters for some time. A lot of fun going on there, but we're not going to get to the offense today. We're going to focus on the defense today and focus on the offense on our next episode. So the defense, uh, I mean, the defense, pretty much everyone played well on the defense, so I'm excited for you to, to break this down and, and help really explain to me who stood out because in my eyes, everyone was looking good. Yeah, kind of my eyes too. Honestly, if you go through my article online on Russell Street Report, you'll see there's an awful lot of positive grades in terms of expectation. And not everybody can have a bigger role than they than they did last year. But some of that is the the, the defense in general. I think might be better, and uh, it's very exciting to watch. It was a, a lot of people got hung up on the fact that the Rams sat most of their starters, and that had something to do. It was nice to see Flacco have a big drive, carve up their defense pretty easily. Um, 
one of the things that was nice about it was they, they had ample time and space on every play. Now, I know we're going to get into this the next time, but uh, basically despite the fact that the offense moved right down the field the first couple of drives, uh, the Ravens' depth really piled on the Rams as the game wore on, and that was really evident. So uh, uh, very good game all around, and while the you know the ones versus the twos did well on that first drive, and, and then Jackson came in and did well, um, it was it was nice team effort all the way through the roster. Sure, preseason football is always tough to judge because the matchups are not the same. It's not all ones versus ones for the entire game, and especially this year is weird when this is the second preseason game the Ravens have had, yet the first time the Rams have put guys on the field. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's a that's exactly what it kind of came down to. And the, I, I I was proud of the Ravens' depth. I, I was I was happy with the way they played. You know, it was nice to see. We won't again talk about it in this show, but Rashad Perriman coming on the field late and and making a real impact against some of the 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 Rams' later players as well. So right. uh, uh, good game. I'm um, you know eager to talk about this defense and how they right. absolutely harassed the hell out of the Rams in this one. All right, so let's get to the defense. We talked about it after the Hall of Fame game about Martindale's defense was kind of just bland and we didn't really see anything. There was no dime. We definitely saw the dime on Thursday night. Yeah, so it was it was it was really nice to see, and you know I, I get excited as soon as I see it. But but the very first third down, they had a third and five situation come came up, and Anthony Levine runs on the field, and I'm saying, oh, Maureen, it's the dime, look, and and uh, uh, we're all excited about it, of course. And then the very first snap of dime was actually a six yard conversion on third and five, and it was on a on a crossing route where Levine had coverage, and uh, and he had uh, he was trailing on it. Six-yard completion, they converted first down, and that was actually 200% of their passing yards for the entire first half. Those six yards, they had three at the end of the first half. So uh, that play was their success. And then after it, I just want to talk about what they did on third down for the rest of the half because these snaps are almost all dime. There might have been one that was not. But the very next snap, Judon sacked uh, Mannion for a loss of seven. Then the very next drive, Suggs hit Mannion from the blind side, had that sack fumble that went out of bounds for a six-yard sack. Then Mannion threw incomplete short left. He was, he was going for Farrow Cooper, but Levine actually had the coverage on the left sideline, and, and he had to throw the ball away. The next drive, Mannion again threw incomplete short left for Reynolds, and the Ravens unleashed one of their six-man rushes, and it was Dimeblatt back Chuck Clark who generated the pressure off the A-gap, so that was nice to see as well. Then uh, a little later, Brent Urban bowled the right tackle uh, for a quarterback hit, and Mannion overthrew a downed receiver. The people may remember this this play because they'll remember Deshaun Elliott, like a center fielder, going back, 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 back to the warning track to try and catch the ball. But unfortunately, the ball fell incomplete, and despite a dive from Elliott and a narrow miss on an interception. Uh, and then on third and 20, the Rams finally just kind of gave in to the abuse they'd taken this first half, and they ran the ball for seven yards uh, rather than try and uh, execute a pass play uh, at, with 135 left in the half. And that was the last we saw of the dime there. In the second half, Martindale put the dime in the closet again. They went back to this nickel for every play. Uh, but it was really nice to see him open the playbook. And even if it was only for uh, seven snaps or so, to really generate some pressure off of these uh, these other sets and including a bunch of six-man looks. And uh, certainly it was very effective and a very fun first half to watch. 
Right. Did the stoppage of when he stopped using the dime, did that correlate with the first string guys coming off the field? First string guys were already gone. Okay. Uh, Ravens were up 23 nothing at the half when they stopped using the dime, and then they ended up winning 33-7 to with it. So they still won the second half, right. but they didn't, they didn't win it, and they didn't bring out all their weapons. Right. Well, again, yeah, it's, it, they don't have the, the first string guys after anymore. Of course, that's how preseason football goes. The end of the mm-hmm. game, it's uglier football. There you go. So, Absolutely all right. True. Uh, well, let's get into some individual players then. We, we dealt with Martindale and that we have something a little bit exciting to watch there. Uh, but on, let's go with some of the individual players. And the first guy that stood out was Anthony Everett. So, Everett, again, cornerback um, uh, from, from um, Alabama, and he's playing at right corner. You always are a little bit worried that an Alabama draft pick is going to be a little bit overdrafted with the Ravens because Ozzie's so right. plugged in there. But I think he may have really found a value in Averett, that uh, he is a uh, a quick guy, seems to have good change of direction. He might even be able to play on the inside, but he's played exclusively on the outside so far. He hasn't played any slot corner with the Ravens. Um, he slipped on one pass play, but he, he maintained enough of his balance that he was actually able to impede a running ball that caught a two-yard pa- running back who caught a two-yard pass and allow Kenny Young to get the finish on that play. So that was good. Um, he had stride-for-stride stride coverage of uh, Thompson down the left sideline on a play uh, that, that was very nice. Ball had to be thrown out of bounds, uh, maybe intentionally, maybe just so his receiver was the only guy who could get it kind of thing, but the ball was out of bounds and incomplete. And then he had a uh, pass defense on the very last defensive play of the game. So nice overall game for Averitt. He, he strung two in a row together. Um, he's certainly going to make the roster part of Ravens' very deep corner depth. That was really never in doubt. But he's a guy now that's, that's right in there with Marcus Kennedy as either the fourth or fifth corner on the team. And that is just so exciting, I can't even tell you, that, that one of those two guys is really the, the fourth or fifth corner. And it's not uh, you know somebody who's pretty bad, like Shockey Brown maybe being your fourth or fifth corner. Right, and so. right, sure. And Maurice Kennedy, just going to head next, because he had that amazing interception where he went up for the ball. Yeah, and that was the only time they threw at him the whole game. So he was in zone coverage. He was an underneath guy. He backpedaled a little bit, leapt, made the interception, and he did not allow a single completion in the game as I have it scored. Somebody else looking at it may say somebody was closer on some play, but uh, he he did not have a single uh, completion allowed. So that's kind of like a perfect game for a cornerback when you you intercept the only ball thrown your way. Um, he had a kind of a mediocre debut against the Bears where he let a receiver get behind him in the end zone and he dropped the ball, fortunately, but, uh, but didn't look nearly as good against the Bears as he did uh, this week. And uh, really good to see that because Kennedy's a corner that I'm, I'm hoping for big things on the outside after he had a very fine year at slot corner uh, the second half last year. Right. Speaking of that game with the Bears, you praised um... – you praised Correa a whole lot after that game for the best game you may have ever seen from a, in a preseason game. Yeah. Um, how did he do this week compared to that? It's hard well, to live I, up to that. Yeah, you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't follow that performance up with a duplicate, or at least it, it would be very unlikely, I think. Um, he had, uh, uh, you know, I think it was the best game in Ravens preseason history this week. Uh, he had a game that neither improved nor... Uh, set down his standings, but there were some troublesome individual things and there were some good individual things. So we want to talk about the good or the bad first. Get the bad out of the way. Let's get the bad out of the way. Okay. 
Difficult game against the run. He played three series at outside linebacker. I'm sorry, three series at inside linebacker and all the rest of his time on the outside. So uh, his time against the run was not good. I have some specific plays that are mentioned in the uh, article, but he's unable to get, uh, get off a block from the center uh, until he was seven yards downfield. He actually made the, the tackle on that play, but, but he got pushed pretty well. Uh, effectively as well. Uh, he also lost the left edge at outside linebacker to a wide receiver. That's a big no-no, uh, but he got blocked by Pharaoh Cooper on the, actually, actually the right edge, uh, on the 17-yard run right uh, by Davis. Uh, so that was at, at Q2 1040 if you want to look at your DVR and check it out, uh, or you can look at the article and then you can, uh, you can, you can remember where it is without having to write that down. All right. Yeah, against the pass, you yeah. also want to know what he did well. Yeah. He had a couple of pass pressures himself, but he did something else that was really good. And, and this, these kind of things tend to go unnoticed. Um, Zach Sealer had a 12-yard stunt sack or a twist, you could call it. it was, he, was, he was going outside, and Correa had the underneath play on that. Now, oftentimes the underneath is kind of like a supporting role in a twist because he's trying to cross the face, in this case of the left tackle, and get his shoulders turned. And he did exactly that. He got the left tackle's attention for long enough that Sealer was able to get get him, get around him, and then have the left tackle off balance so he could push back with one hand, get the left tackle out of the way, and take down the quarterback for a 12-yard loss. But a really good supporting play there by Correa to set that up for Sealer. Right, and that's, that's the big thing is it seemed that a lot of the guys on the defense were actually making plays and uh, getting turnovers, getting sacks. Uh, even Deshaun Elliott, the rookie that we've been looking at a little bit, he recovered a fumble. Yeah, he's got a great nose for the football. I mean, we, the big thing I want to know is, can Deshaun Elliott be the free safety prospect the Ravens need after Eric Weddle is gone? So that's a, that's a it's the hope. He's played a lot on the back end so far uh, in this preseason. He's played a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, but mostly on the back end. And even on that play, he was further back off the ball. The sack occurred, and two or three Ravens tried to scoop the ball unsuccessfully, and then and then he came flying in and and dove on the ball as as any high school coach would tell you to do, but it's right. not necessarily the right thing to do. But anyway, he uh, he jumped on the ball and uh, and uh, got the recovery there. He had a forced fumble last week, and then he also had that near interception. Uh, as the center fielder on the overthrow that we mentioned earlier in this game. So yeah. uh, good news for the football. I, I thought he had a decent game in coverage, nothing glaring. But when you play on the back end, and he and Chuck Clark did, and the team, the opposing team only allows three yards in the first half, you deserve a share of, of credit, three passing yards. <laughs> so right. uh, terrific game from Elliott again. Yeah, no matter who you're playing against, whether it's first string, second string, third string, it's hard to keep them to that, that small of a number. There you go. Um, last season, we saw Patrick Ricard on both sides of the ball. We saw that again this week where he scored a touchdown, but then he spent the rest of the game on defense. Yeah, so so did, did a bunch of things very well in this game. So first of all, let's talk about him on offense because uh, we may or may not you know talk hit that on that on the offensive podcast because he certainly he's highlighted here in the defensive notes. But he caught a six yard out route for a touchdown, and that route was. A very simple, what I call it, the Vontae Leach special, because Vontae Leach really only had one route he would run. He could run it to either sideline, so maybe he'd call it two routes. But he ran an out route where he went about two or three yards past the line of scrimmage at the most, and he was available as an outlet. 
That's exactly what Ricard ran on this play. He was actually right at the line of scrimmage, caught the ball, turned, and ran six yards for the touchdown unimpeded. Not that anyone was really going to get in front of him and tackle him at right. his size, but uh, but he the, the uh, outside guy uh, was left in the dust on the play, and I don't even remember the number on that, but uh, uh, Ricard... All right, but the point of that type of route with Ricard or when it was Vontae Leach is to just kind of give it to the big guy who can bull rush through for whatever yards. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's intended to be a short outlet route to get something on a play where you got nothing. In this case, because you're in the red zone, you know they say deception is everything there, and you really need to fool the other team on, on which receiver you're going to, and they, the Rams were certainly fooled. So the job was done on that route. But then that wasn't even his most interesting route. His most interesting route was the wheel route he ran later. And they didn't take time. It was a shame really talking about this. But to explain what a wheel route is to the listeners, it's it's a running back coming out of the backfield that normally takes a route up the sideline that is somewhat circuitous. It's a, it's a uh, you know, looks like he's headed maybe uh, just on an out route, and then he accelerates and goes up the sideline. Ricard ran that route. They uh, It was with uh, Jackson in the game. They tried to throw the ball downfield and slightly overthrown. Would have been great to see a jump ball, but uh, I'm ashamed, kind of ashamed is not the right word, but I would have loved to hear Billick talk about that play since he has a you know a background as an offensive-minded coach. Yeah, yeah. of course. No, and, and, and that's something exciting to continue to watch with him. Yeah, I mean, it's what he can do offensively is definitely it's a it's a huge part of his game, and and but he might help the team by making the making the team and being that backup defensive lineman. And what he did in the second half definitely did not hurt his chances there. He was the dominant player in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage during that second half. So uh, he he all kinds of plays. Now I want you to go in and look at the article for this, but basically he penetrated on every run play just about. Um, he had a, a big hand in denying the fourth and one stop by uh, penetrating past the left guard, Denby, actually bulled him. And then that created a gap where Alvin Jones could, could run in and make the tackle on Kelly for no gain on fourth and one. So that was a big play. Uh, he had a big pressure, uh, actually, uh, that blew. Okay, let me get to it exactly here. He had a, he had a pressure on the final drive. A penetration actually where, he, where he, he came in and blew up Holly for a loss of one. He actually got got past the left guard Cologne for a very fast QH on that final draft as well uh, drive as well. So just play after play. I have six or seven plays listed out there. Um, having a Patrick Ricard retrospective is a good thing. Good news came out yesterday that that they got an email from the Ravens and all PSL owners should have this with free Game Pass subscription for the next year. So this is always a very exciting time of year for me because all, I write my articles to be followed along by people who have Game Pass. So I give you those quarter-in-time references, and that allows you to go in and check the, uh, uh, the individual plays and see, see if you're seeing the play the same way I am. And it uh, gives you a code. takes two minutes to set up, no longer than that. And you're in and you have Game Pass. I, t- I told people out on Twitter, a whole bunch of people didn't know they had this benefit as a season ticket holder. I'm guessing a lot of our listeners probably do. Uh, hopefully more of them will take advantage of it this year and uh, and go look at that because it's a lot of fun. It's, it's very addictive once you get out there and have the ability to look at all these old games. They have all the games back to 2009. So if you want to go back, wa- back and watch that wild card win against New England where Yonda pulled 19 times and connected on 15, you can do that. 
And, uh, and the Ravens had all the turnovers, went up 24 nothing in the first quarter. So lots of great historical football there to see, not just, uh, um, not just today's games. Sure, sure. And I think the average second season ticket holder probably doesn't understand what Game Pass is. Before doing this podcast, I've, I heard of Game Pass. I knew Game Pass existed. I didn't really understand what it was and why I, as a Raven fan, would want to log into Game Pass. Yeah, so it's 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 uh, all NFL games back to 2009, uh, including the coaches' film is there. The Ravens have paid for that, and and the, the plays are indexed, so you can go in and you can see the individual play you want by picking it off the screen. You don't have to you know waste time like picking through a, a DVR to try and find a play that that, that somebody's referring to or, or you want to look at. So it's very convenient in that way, and and. Uh, it's a very nice way. It's really the only way to, to watch film now with the of the NFL. Right. It makes it so much easier. Can I, in their view, uh, by player? So, like, Zach Sealer, we're going to get into next. He had uh, only 12 snaps. Can I pull up Zach Sealer and see his 12 snaps? Or do you know, I the know email the email mentioned that there was a way to look at player snaps for when they were in. So it would be fantastic if it is. I haven't figured that part out yet, but I'll make All that right. my project in time for the next podcast right. if we can do that. Or it might be something coming soon this year that they haven't opened up yet. It could be. So let's get to it. Let's get to Zach Sealer and his. Again, we're looking at this rookie, and he's not on the field a whole lot. No, I mean, he only had 12 snaps uh, this this game. And he again had another big game. He uh, he beat a double team uh, in one case to deliver a quarterback hit. That was just a very impressive play, by the way. Q three five seventeen. If you want to go take a look at that, and then he had this this sack where he showed something that you don't see from a rookie, which is just amazing strength to bull a left tackle with one hand, take a quarterback, and these are big men still. I mean, they're playing in the NFL, and take him down for a twelve yard stack without any hope of the guy getting away from him. Um, he was, was bold several yards on one run play, but it was just a terrific game for Sealer. What's interesting about his, this play is Sealer has a very good chance, I think, to be the best seventh round pick the Ravens have ever had. And Michael Campanero is probably it so far. So it's, the bar is not set extremely high is what, is what I'd say about that. But there's five reasons why I think he's likely to make the team. So for starters, he's... Ozzy's last draft pick, but that's not the reason why I'll make the team. It's because he's a DaCosta guy with this small school pedigree. And if you see a small school draft pick, you know it's DaCosta. It's the organization that DaCosta built, and the way he likes to handle scouting is the reason they got that guy. Ozzy's much more about picking big five guys. Alabama players we obviously know, but the big five conferences are where a lot of Ozzy draft picks have come from. And, and DaCosta, when you see a small school pick, it's it's really got his – uh, fingerprints all over. Do you, do you know where Ferris State is? Uh, I think it's in Michigan. Didn't you didn't you look at it at one point for you? I may have, but if so, I forgot. Yeah. I have no clue. So yeah, it's uh, maybe a, Grand Rapids or something. Right, or it's definitely it was, a small yeah. college, not an Aussie yeah. type pick. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it, it definitely smells like Decosta. So that's reason number one. No, number two, it's extraordinarily unusual for a rookie to be the strongest player on the team. But they announced on the on the broadcast that. Sealer was the strongest Raven. And if you, you know, we all talk about offensive line players. We talk about this on the defensive line that, you know, he needs a year in an NFL weight room. How often right. do we hear that? It's the most common objection for rookies to overcome playing on either side of the offensive, uh, either side of the line. Yes. 
Um, the Ravens have a replacement need coming up. Brent Urban will be an unrestricted free agent again after 2018. He was a UFA, but he had injury concerns, so he signed a one-year deal but with some incentives that was good for the club and good for Urban. I expect Urban to play very well this year. Uh, he's looked good so far in the games, and uh, you know the Ravens have to make ready for life after Urban and to have a player like Sealer, who will probably still be the backup with Wormley as the number one, will be a very solid five-tech position. So um, I like having uh, having Sealer available for next year to uh, to be one of the good rotational guys there at, at the five. Uh, and also that, that would provide the Ravens with a very inexpensive position as well because you have a third-year guy and a second-year guy sharing a position. It's, it's ideal in terms of development and, and, uh, and expense. Number four, he's playing at a very high level. He's, he's played against lesser competition. He hasn't played a ton of snaps. But he's had two straight games where he's done extremely well. So I can't argue with that. And then number five, and this is really important, is practically you cannot hide the guy on the practice squad. He's too good for that. And he's too NFL ready. So if you put him on the practice squad, he'll be be scarfed up immediately. If you try and get him through waivers, they will either have to decide to IR the guy or have him play play on the team uh, this season. I think he ends up on the roster, not on IR. All right. Uh, that's exciting for a rookie to come in like that. Um, I want to ask you about one more specific player and then some more general um, questions. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the Alabama bias, or as you politically put it, that Ozzie Newsom is plugged in in Alabama. Yeah. But Tim Williams, he had a great game on Thursday. And is he kind of what we expected coming out of Alabama last year? Yeah, I mean, I think they, they've, you know, the coaches made comments about that. I'm just going to go with my my eyeball comments on the thing. But he he has looked absolutely like he's playing at a different speed than the other players on the field. So you know, to, to kind of calibrate this, if the if college has played at a five, now he's talking about the big jump to the NFL in in terms of speed, and the NFL's an eight, and some of the NFL grocery baggers that he might have been playing against are playing at a six. Tim Williams is playing at a ten. I mean, he's just he's faster than NFL players. He's faster than the grocery baggers. He's way faster than a college player. Um, they, I've heard some things this week about him losing some weight. I'll just say he, the, the variety of pass rush moves he has and his ability to move quickly past someone are just extremely exciting in terms of how they can be used this year by Martindale. I think he's going to get a lot more snaps than he did. Last year, he had something like 115 snaps, if I recall correctly, a lot of inact- deactivations. This year, he's playing more special teams, which will help. And I think as a situational pass rusher, I, I, I'd be looking at north of 350 uh, pass rush snaps for Williams. And it's not just Williams' play as a pass rusher that's been impressive. In this game, he really played the run well. He, he controlled uh, the side of the line of scrimmage he was on. He was good at controlling the edge. He did a good job of uh, getting, getting inside and, uh, uh, what do you call it, pinching in on the ball carrier once he had that edge controlled. People will point to one missed tackle he had. It was a, it would have been a tough tackle anyway, but he missed a tackle at five yards on Kelly's 40-yard run. So if you, you, you want to have a balanced report about people, that was the one negative really from Tim Williams in this game. But otherwise, outstanding game. Four more pressure events, add to eight in the first game. He had the strip sack, of course, that everybody remembers. Uh, and just a, a terrific overall game of run defense, a guy who is uh, – ascending star for the Ravens. And like I said, I, I'm expecting maybe 350 plus snaps for him this year as a rotational outside linebacker and, and the primary situational pass rusher. I think the Ravens will use. 
All right, that's great. All right, I've got a few questions for you. Then we'll get to your stars. Then we'll let the listeners get in their questions with the mailbag. First one is um, we talk a lot about preseason and guys being in shape. Who looks like they're in midseason form right now on the Ravens on the defensive side? In midseason form, the guy who I'm really happy about among the starters who's played well is Michael Pierce. He just penetrated across the line of scrimmage all night last night. And uh, I know it was it was the number twos, but Pierce made him look like number two. All right. And he uh, he was in that backfield all night making plays and uh, all night for, for the you know probably dozen snaps that he played right. or so. And then, uh, uh, you know, that was that was a terrific start. The outside linebackers look great. Judon and Suggs. Uh, th- those are the guys among the starters who just thoroughly dominated the game while they were in there. All right. Give me a sleeper pick, a guy that I might not have seen uh, or noticed how well he was do- he's was he been doing. Okay, a sleeper pick. Let me think about that for a minute. I'm going to go with Alvin Jones, the inside linebacker. I thought that he did a really good job exploiting the gap I mentioned that was created by Ricard. He's a, a natural gap shooter. He throws his body around, aggressively makes tackles. I think we might have mentioned him in last week's podcast as being a really a guy who could really be a good two down run stuffer complement to a dime. So he plays the, the weak side inside linebacker role, or he can anyway, play the run extremely well. And then you'd replace him on third down with Levine or Clark uh, in the dime and have a, a really good complementary set of players. That's very inexpensive to play that second uh, inside linebacker position. All right. All right. Final question. This one might be hard because I did start this, uh, this podcast was saying how as the average fan it looked like the defense everyone played well but give me some guys or team concerns what should i be concerned about as a ravens fan right so they they did have some they did have some problems they had a problem in general stopping the run uh the we mentioned it for correa already bronson kafusi had some problems on the outside as well in this game even though he made one real highlight real play over an eight yard stop uh, he had problems holding the edge on his side as well. And they, and they end up giving up 121 yards on 25 carries, which is 4.8 yards per carry. And that's more than the Ravens would ever want to give up, of course. So gave up some big runs. That that would be the team concern. They've got to get their edge-setting situation um, in, in gear. We've talked about this at times, but they have this enormous depth at outside linebacker, and yet they have really – uh, only Suggs and maybe Judon, we'll see how he does it, who are really setting the edge effectively. We, Tim Williams hopefully is moving into this group. But those two guys are, are the, the, the two who we trust to set the edge. And so those are the guys who, you know, Suggs you'd want to use as a pass rusher, and you need him for that, but you also need him as an edge setter. And so it, it really becomes difficult in how to apportion out his snaps to make the best use of him. All right. So it's uh, kind of a balancing act. There you go. So, all right. Um, let's get to your stars of the game on the defensive side. I'm okay. sure you had a bunch to pick from when they, when they did really well this week. Yeah, one sided game like this, there was, there was a lot to pick from. But I, I picked out three guys. Tim Williams, the clear number one star to me in a game like this, with the uh, uh, pressure events he had, with the playing the run effectively, the strip sack. I mean, he really did it all. In that first game, he had eight pressures. He didn't convert anything into a sack, which was which was a shame, but he was in the backfield all night causing wreaking havoc. More of the same this week. Good run plays. He's he's the first star very easily. The second star, uh, I would go give to Patrick Ricard. Just absolutely controlled the line of scrimmage. And if you want to talk about anything not going well in the run game, it is not Patrick Ricard. That guy did everything he was supposed to in the run game. 
And uh, honestly, it looks like he could save the roster spot for the for the Ravens if he could uh, jump in there and and take the nose tackle and fullback roles and uh, or backup nose and fullback roles and actually play some meaningful defensive snaps this year instead of just emergency snaps. So excited about his play. And then my third my third star is going to go to Anthony Averett. It's exciting to see that additional corner depth and Averett coming through. I could have given it to Maurice Kennedy, who had the interception, but uh, Averett, because of his play over both games, I'm going to give him the nod on this and getting the third star for, for game two. All right, awesome. Um, now it's time for Film Study Mailbag. Send in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. And then uh, Ken can answer them for you. Sometimes he'll even answer them on Twitter before we even get to the podcast. But either way, we always cover it here. I've got one question, uh, Ken, for you on the defensive side of the ball from Carl, who says, with so many D-line men and edge rushers performing well, who makes the 53, who makes the practice squad, who gets stashed IR, who gets traded, who gets cut? <laughs> you can't net, you can't break all that down. But how do the Ravens handle this problem of – looking pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. Right. I mean, uh, Carl, it's a great question. It's an entire show for us to, to do our roster thing. And we will do that, by the way, before this preseason ends. We'll we'll have a roster prediction show to go through that. You know, injuries will play a large part in that, as they always do, that we'll, we'll see some injuries develop, obviously, that will make the choices for the Ravens. And there'll be some other surprising and suspicious injuries that come up that will allow some players to go to IR. Um I think that one of the really significant questions, if you're looking for a surprise cut, Brandon Carr, if the cornerback depth holds up, could be a guy they let go. And I think that uh, Carl Davis of the fourth-year players is probably now on the bubble given the exceptional play of Patrick Ricard and the, the desire of the team in all likelihood to save a spot on the defensive line. And Ravens are also going to be very challenged in making the decision between offense and defense. If they keep three quarterbacks – can they keep only 25 offensive players? So that's one of the questions they'll need to answer, Carl. And again, great question. We'll devote an entire show to it in the future, and, and we'll uh, uh, make sure we talk through all those issues on the on the defense in terms of individual positions and, and handicap the players one at a time in terms of who's likely to make it. Right, right. Um, all right. We, I don't think we mentioned enough that RussellStreetReport.com uh, is where everyone should go. It's we are thankful that they are the host of this podcast, uh, that they help release this each week. It's also where your write-ins are each week, Ken. Um, you've got a, uh, something up there right now on the defense where all this is broken down into written form, correct? Yeah, and there's, and there's much more detail out there, including all the play quarter-time references that allow you to go back to game pass. So I, I appreciate it if you if you take a look at that and read the writing there. Um, the old articles are all there, and the old podcasts are there as well that Josh and I have done. And you can follow me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens as well. Uh, Josh, tell them about your show, 336. Sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh Soroka. My podcast is Section 336. You should just go in whatever your podcast thing is and subscribe to it. It's a lot of fun. And you should check out Section336.com because I'm focusing a lot more on blogging right now uh, as we get through these struggle and Oriole seasons and helping to explain to people what's going on, for instance, with Cedric Mullins coming up and Adam Jones moving to right field. I was amazed how many text messages I got from average fans saying what's going on. So we help explain all that on the podcast and on section 336.com. So, all right, Ken. Well, once again, thank you for, uh, doing your best to break down the defense and going through all of this for us. 
and uh, we will talk again in a few days and break down the offense. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.